With more than 200 accredited courses and more than 1,000 videos, the Police One Academy is a powerful online solution that provides department training programs with features that reduce time spent on records and policy management, credential tracking, and more. It is law enforcement training made simple and effective. For more information and to get a 30-day trial, visit www.policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, it is the end of the year. I can't believe it. We're almost at 2019. 2018 zipped by in a jiffy. Um, we've had an opportunity to meet um, every month and record for every week uh, on a variety of really interesting topics. And it being the end of the year, uh, the way Police One does this is we kind of try to wrap things up in kind of summary of what we observed throughout the year. And we had a lot of good topics. We talked about school resource officers. Uh, we talked about um, recruitment and retention issues. We talked about um, using DNA evidence, uh, things like that, like in the case of the Golden State Killer. Um, the opioid crisis, um, the various things related to legal marijuana. And one of my favorite things, and maybe we should start with this, uh, was, you know, the what they call the lip sync battles, yeah. where the, the agencies challenged each other to outdo one another with um, musical parodies, if you will, or music videos of popular tunes. And a lot of cops uh, and a lot of people that I know, friends of mine, uh, were very critical of these competitions saying they were frivolous and they made officers look bad and mm. they were a waste of time and resources and energy. And I actually had a very different take on that. I thought that, you know, not only did it create camaraderie among agencies, uh, in, you know, within an agency, but it actually f bonded agencies in, in local areas because they were challenging each other. You know, cops get on the range or cops get in the weight room or cops get into any kind of competition. It's on. And are, you, are you saying cops are competitive? Maybe just a little bit type A competitive types. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so, right? yeah, I mean, what was your take on that? And then we'll, you know, maybe get get into a couple of the other uh, big issues of the of the year. Well, I think you made me a believer right here at this table when we recorded, uh, and I came in with a different attitude. I came in with the skeptical attitude that lip sync battles, yeah, not so much. I wasn't that uh, a big a fan, but. Um, couple things changed my mind. One was sitting here talking with you. Um, another was informally bringing it up in class and asking students, well over 100 students, what they thought about um, when they, what they thought when they saw these lip sync battles. And some thought they were silly, uh, funny, but that it was good seeing cops in a variety of uniforms and modes of transportation and you know, it was interesting how they brought in local celebrities. You know, the mm -hmm. CHP, California Highway Patrol brought in, uh, I think, Eric Estrada for theirs. Uh, I was disappointed that uh, San Francisco didn't bring in Carl Malden or a clip from uh, Bullet from with Steve McQueen. I mean, he says that would have been great. San Francisco several times. It'd be great to, to see that. But I mean, really, uh, I th the bottom line is this. I think whether it's community policing, community relations or community engagement, anything positive makes a change. Uh, it, it, it elicits something from the community and it's a mm -hmm. positive thing. Yeah. Um, I think by sheer nature of the job, 
law enforcement goes to things that happen that are bad or have a negative connotation. And whether you look in your rearview mirror on the freeway and, and see the flashing red and blues and go, oh, crap, they're, yeah. they're here for me, right? Or if you see uh, mm-hmm. the police trying to put handcuffs on a resisting suspect or a child witnessing uh, the police taking their mom or dad out of their home in handcuffs. Those those are all negative interactions with, with law enforcement. They're part of the job. I don't know how to make them any more, you know, pretty. happier. Yeah. Or, yeah, you can't make it pretty. No, but so I think the counterbalance is bringing uh, police and sheriff and corrections into good, positive light. And so... Although I still hold reservations on dancing on top of police cars and things like that, I'm a believer. Yeah, I think that for the most part, they did a really good job, especially the the ones I mentioned this during our podcast. The examples where they were really well choreographed and orchestrated and involved citizens and involved, you know, just all kinds of... There was one that was... um, it, it, it was one single camera shot that went through the entire department. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, that's a director's work. That's a really good <laughs> job. And so it really just, to your point, it showed the community a different side of police that they typically don't see. You know, if you go to the squad room, there's a lot of laughter in a squad room. It just doesn't seem to percolate out onto the street. Now, let's talk about getting out onto the street again, just kind of in a quick segue here. We talked at one point about and we're going to do a whole other podcast on this in a little while, um, revisiting the issue of different modes of transportation that get you out of the squad car and get you involved and engaged in the community. Community policing's most fundamental piece is foot patrol. And we discussed that a little bit earlier in the year. We'll discuss it again in uh, 2019. But what are your thoughts on how agencies can retain their mounted patrols, you know, in, in 2017, Portland said they were going to get rid of their mounted patrol and it just disbanded. So um, these are really important avenues for community policing and community engagement. Bike patrol, foot patrol, horse patrol, ATVs. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think driving by at 35, 45 miles an hour in a 2,000 pound radio car doesn't really get much play or interaction between cops and the community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and going back to a sec- for a second to the lip sync battles, I think that the agencies that score the highest points are those that bring the community into those videos. Yeah. Whether mm-hmm. it's another agency or community groups, neighborhood groups, that goes a long way. In relation to what you're talking about, getting cops on foot patrols, on bicycles, on horseback, on ATVs, Hondas, what have you, gets you a little closer to the community. Uh Kids especially are just totally infatuated with police yeah. dogs, with horses. horses. Yeah. Uh, in San Francisco, we still maintain, I think, eight eight or ten horses. The mounted patrol goes through the, the parks usually, but during the holiday season, they go downtown. They're at Union and, Square. Oh, the, yeah. and they make a great impression. And, and San Francisco is a tourist town, and everybody wants to take a picture with a police horse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awesome. So I think... Anything that gets cops closer to the community, mm-hmm. uh, gets that casual interaction, the the consensual uh, conversations, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Um, shifting gears somewhat, but staying on the notion of engaging the community, I have been a believer for a very long time 
and we discussed this on a podcast, that the best way to recruit um, new officers and interest people in becoming officers is to engage children and engage at schools with SROs and engage with things like the Police Athletic League and the Explorer Program or Cadet Programs where you're giving kids exposure and instruction about law enforcement. Even if they don't go into law enforcement, they'll have a better understanding of what the job is about, what it's like, and maybe have a little bit better uh, response when something cooks off that looks from the outside from a video to be negative they that one person who's gone through the explorer program might say to their buddy in sophomore junior year hey so the reason that that happened is x right and so there's a lot of benefit to engaging kids in my opinion and what what are your thoughts on how that can affect a community's overall relationship with its officers oh it's it's a top priority in any any law enforcement agency every cop is a recruiting officer for their agency Every cop is should be providing outreach to the community to win the hearts and minds of people out there, mm-hmm. starting with kids. Mm-hmm. And not not to manipulate them into believing something, but to helping out whenever they can. You know, when school's out in the winter or in the summer, keep an eye out for that, that one kid by himself. Uh, lost kids, uh, kids in trouble, kids first brush with the law, shoplifting or something like that. Uh, Take the time and effort to to make a contact that might last forever in the minds of that child. So whether it's an SRO uh, who sees the kid every day and talks about sports or just you know shows that they're an everyday person. I recall back here in San Francisco, in, in the inner city of San Francisco, I had a bicycle stolen when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And the cop could have easily said, hey, you're never going to get that bike back, see a kid. Um, and my mom said, well, I'm going to call the police. You're going to report it. So I'm sitting out on the stoop. The cop pulls up, talk to me for a half an hour. And that impression of, wow, that I'm getting service from this cop and not just lip service, but he's talk, you know, he's mm-hmm. asking me to describe the bike. I don't know if the guy ever wrote a police report, but I was just so impressed. And at a most impressionable age, uh, that's lasted with me forever. And that could have been the first spark that uh, made me want to become a police officer. Yeah. Um, let's shift gears somewhat. We, we've had this theme of community engagement now for the first three basic topics here that we had covered in 2018. One, though, uh, that resurfaced, unfortunately, because of another tragedy, um, this time in Parkland, Florida, uh, the, uh, the, the high school in Parkland, Florida. Uh, it's a topic that I've been drilling for a couple of years now that given um, the right volunteer, the correct, well-trained by law enforcement volunteer, um, some teachers, administrators, and, and school employees may be armed and should be armed in order to provide a response because, you know, when seconds count, the police are only minutes away. And uh, we, we discussed it on the podcast. Uh, I've written on it extensively on Police One and other venues. Um, what are your thoughts? You know, I mean, I know we debated it a little bit. And uh, What are your thoughts today? I think every police officer who raises his right hand takes an oath to go into battle mm-hmm. uh, to, to protect people and save lives. Um, I think we're, we're asking cops to do more and more and put themselves at risk when we talk about things like de-escalation and, and maybe actually uh, 
open themselves up to to injury or worse when when they confront a, a suspect armed or unarmed. And, and I, I want to be really cautious with any changes that we make in, in training there. As far as using uh, community people, um, I don't know, we've had like two or three incidents in the last couple of months where um, maybe the wrong guy was shot. People who have concealed weapons who who thought to help out, to, who thought to take on an armed shooter, um, only to be shot as uh, and, and misidentified as maybe a suspect as mm-hmm. well. I, I mean, that's that's a, a, a clear example of how um, in some situations, a lot of people running around with guns are really hard to distinguish by cops. And uh, I think in those venues where there are a lot of concealed weapons permits or um, there are a lot of permits issued that there needs to be some training from law enforcement not just the the shooter's course to be eligible to purchase the gun or the range to show proficiency in shooting a gun but also to hear from cops what you do if you have a gun and the police arrive on scene the hands go up, the gun goes down. Uh, you don't swing around with your gun in a hand saying, I'm helping. Uh, tragedies are happening because of that. Yeah, and I think that, that in many cases, um, the, the tragedies of which you speak, um, they're, they're, you're dealing with people who don't have any training. You're dealing with people who, are, who have very minimal training or questionable training. I mean, not all training is, is just because you've gone to a range and you've trained under an, a, a, a an instructor doesn't mean you got the right instruction. Um, And so I've, I've said for years that it's absolutely crucial that in order for an, any administrator or school employee to have a, possess a firearm, they have to train with the police Mm. and they have to go through active shooter training with the police. It's, it's sort of akin to when you have um, uh, an EMT embedded into your SWAT team. They have to go through training in order to figure out, in order to move with the stack, right, in order to pr- right. just tactically work correctly with the team, not get in the way, not do something stupid, not jeopardize the rest of the folks. on. So if for me, it's critical. If you're going to allow an instructor or, or a teacher to possess a firearm on campus, it is mandatory that they're A, volunteers, and be regularly trained with the law enforcement. Yeah, but I think you take a leap when you say that, like an embedded EMT, I, I think when you talk in circles of public safety officers, whether they be firefighters mm-hmm. or EMTs, uh, police officers, that there there is a similar mindset among all of them, and um, they're thinking safety first. Uh, I don't know about you know, with the, the amount of training teachers have to undergo for continuing educational credits and uh-huh. training to add the gun responsibility, um, I, I don't know about that. I, and then I worry about just that sort of human nature. If you're a cop, a fireman, a paramedic, EMT, you go through hours and hours and hours of training. Then you go through probationary period with, with a field training officer and all these things are constantly driven into your head Mm -hmm. now you're taking somebody whose primary responsibility is something entirely different and you're giving them a gun and saying in these you know one person maybe less than one percent of the the remainder of your career you may be called upon to do this and then actually ask them to retain it in practice so i guess what i'm getting at is Mm -hmm. um 
there are a lot of people laying in hospital beds or worse who claim they had the green light when they walked, even if they saw an approaching car. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking that we might get people who may feel they are totally in in the right. They've, they've got a gun out for a reason. Maybe they just shot an active shooter and they turn around with the cop and they are not dropping their gun because they're feeling real good about what they just did. Mm. And that's, that's a, we're talking about another yeah. tragedy in the making. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's, let's move on. I just, before we move on, I just want to, <laughs> I, I, I just want to finish with this. I will, I will point to the pilots and they have to go through hours and hours of training and they have one objective. That's to land safely land right. the airplane at the destination. Yes. Uh, and yet still we have 1% or 2% of pilots are also, Carrying on, carrying firearms onto the airplane. So yeah, but how many times do you think they? Can you ever recall a pilot shooting someone? No, and I really don't want it to happen. <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> but I do know that there have been a couple of um, uh, school teachers who have chased gunmen out of the building. Yeah, uh, and, armed you know, so or unarmed. Un- armed or unarmed. Yeah. They? So yeah. there there is the motive there. Um, I'm going to lump a couple of things together here because um, they're semi related okay. with one another. Uh, we talked at one point during the year about policing the homeless. We've talked at one point during the year about the opioid crisis. And we've talked at one point in the year about legal marijuana and it's kind of, pardon the pun, mushrooming out of control. Uh, and, it, you know, I'll use San Francisco as an example, but it's a nationwide picture that we're painting. To me, those three things are they're so interconnected, especially opioids and the homeless. Um, we have to take a more holistic approach probably to addressing the totality of the problem that is homelessness, drug use, um, joblessness, uh, and and people basically living without hope. And, you know, police are called to all of these things, right? All of these different problems, but a lot of these problems aren't police problems, right? right? I mean, there's social or societal problems. They're solved by people who are... Advocates for the homeless or people who are advocates for getting drug treatment and stuff like that. So let's talk. We've talked in the past about how we can better integrate other social services and city services um, with police because the police are the first to get called. Right. Yes. Homelessness is not a crime. But a lot of the things that go along with it are crimes. Right. You know, peeing and defecating on someone's porch. No bueno. You know? Right. So you, that person calls the police, naturally. They don't call the sanitation department. Right. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on some of those kind of interrelated problems there? Well, I, th- I think we start by saying that we are at historic lows with the unemployment rate in the United States right now. We're at, I think, nationwide at under 3.6%. Mm-hmm. And um, since 1967, we haven't enjoyed uh, those kinds of uh, employment, uh, unemployment rates. And so it's a, we're talking about a fraction of society. Of that fraction, <clears throat> alcohol, drugs, and mental illness are prevalent a lot of the time. Not all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give my disclaimer. Not everyone is on alcohol, drugs, or mentally ill who is homeless. Some people have had uh, a series of unfortunate um Circumstances, medical bills that would put you out of your home, all kinds right. of different things. What? Yes, yes. Um, and so, and homelessness itself is not a crime. Right. Well, we agree on that. But um, 
we're experiencing you know sharp increases in property crime uh you can't have a package delivered on your doorstep anymore because whoosh it's gone yeah they grow feet real quick yeah and then and then what is the capacity of housing the homeless um you know if we build eight thousand homes in san francisco uh, do we shut the gate and allow no more in Uh, i think (laughs) it's a problem that it's going to be with us forever and i think we, you know, like I said, I've seen it uh, in the Northwest. I've seen it out East. I've seen it in um, the Midwest. And homelessness is, is, I think, part of America these days. And in the Reagan years, when we defunded um, mental institutions, the three biggest mental institutions in America are criminal justice related. Yeah. Uh, they're not hospitals. So, yeah, I'd love to see mental health professionals writing, uh, you know, 10, 10 uh, in a city like San Francisco, have 10 mobile mental health professionals who can get out of a radio car and go talk to people because they're not going to want to go on their own. They're going to want force protection because of the potential volatility of dealing with somebody with mental health issues. So I think, you know, going back to Portland and defunding uh, mounted patrol to bring on uh, community service workers. Uh, some other agencies are funding mental health workers rather than police. I don't know that that's a bad idea. I would much rather, you know, we keep having this mission creep, this this job creep, where we're asking cops to do all those society ills that you just described. I don't think it's fair. And I don't know any cop who enters the profession with the idea that they are going to be a mental health worker right. or a medical worker or a child therapist or any of those things that we're asking cops to do. So bring in the professionals and let's make them mobile. You know, cops cops are the most, I always say this, they, they're the most visible form of government because they're out there every day. They're driving around looking for trouble. They're wearing uniforms and they are they multitask. They can handle just about anything that happens. But why don't we start putting mental health professionals or detox workers in mobile vehicles that can drive around looking for people? I go to a a, a rail station the other day to catch the train and there is a guy lying face down, totally unconscious, pants halfway down around his uh, knees. And I go tell uh, one of the engineers, hey, did you see that guy? And she's like, oh, yeah, we already called on him. In the meantime, nobody's helping this guy. Yeah. He, we, I don't even know if he was alive. But at some point, we've got to get these other people into the fray. Come on in. We've been doing it for years. We could use your help. Yeah. All right. I think we totally agree on, on that. Um, I think we're going to agree on this one, too. Uh, two topics that we have covered over the course of the last 12 months. Uh, I'm going to tie these two together as well. Uh, there has been a lot of resistance among certain cities and agencies in certain cities, you've named a couple of them, um, by local law enforcement leaders to assist in um, with ICE, in, in, in immigration enforcement. Um, and I'm going to tie that because the president did directly to gangs and MS-13. Um, they're not, um, here's my disclaimer, immigration when done legally is fantastic. We're built on it. We're the melting pot for a reason. Um, I'm a second-generation American myself. Uh, I'm proud to say that. 
immigrants coming to this country are the fuel for the for the workforce. There's so many great things that come from people coming from other parts of the world. Um, however, I, I contend that you should go through the process and do it legally and that if you're doing something illegal to begin with, just to get gain entry to the country, well, are you also willing to commit other illegal acts once you're here? So let's put aside the issue that there are a lot of people here in this country illegally who are doing no wrong. They're doing, in fact, great work. They're doing stuff that other folks here don't want to do. Absolutely, completely agree with that statement. But there are people here illegally, and we've seen it in this city. Um, someone murdered a lovely young woman on the pier uh, with a stolen gun. Uh, he had been deported seven times and re regained access to the country illegally seven times. So we do need to have a discussion around people who are coming here for nefarious purposes, particularly gang members, particularly people who are here to deal drugs or deal in the prostitution trade or um, human trafficking, things like that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I... I, I've been through uh, 30, 30 plus years of policing where uh, attitudes changed on the relationship between local law enforcement and federal immigration services. And back in the day, uh, police officers could call uh, ICE uh, or INS in the case of an arrested person for any felony uh, or or a outstanding warrants, federal warrants. I'd love to see us go back to that. I don't believe that that your immigration status should get you arrested, but it shouldn't be your get out of jail free card either. That's well said. That's exactly you said exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. So and so now you have officers who are who are left defenseless if they make a mistake in contacting uh, federal. Um, agencies, if they mistakenly think it's one of the felonies that they could contact for, um, you 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 mentioned the individual who who shot Kate Steinley on on the pier in San Francisco. Uh, he had been under arrest um, the week of the shooting. He was released, and the and the INS, as I understand it, had asked for him to be uh, to D have detained. a hold placed. Yeah. And the sheriff, uh, the local sheriff, uh, denied it. Said if you can get here in an hour, he'll be here. Otherwise, we're letting him go. And of course, uh, we don't. We didn't have uh, the the arresting agency wasn't local. Uh, by the time they got there, he was gone. And um, yeah, I mean that that should never happen. Uh, the understanding the the sanctuary city ordinance is in place to shield people from becoming victims because of their immigration status, that we don't want to deter people from reporting crimes so that they become targets right. uh, due to their immigration status. But I think you lose that right and that privilege once you start committing crimes. And I don't know, maybe we have the two-strike rule, but uh, to get that free swing and, and get out of jail without any penalty... Um, because of your immigration status, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I think you can have your cake and eat it too. I think you can have both, have it both ways. You can have, <clears throat> pardon me, per, a person who's been victimized be shielded and sheltered from um, recrimination for for participating in the in the criminal justice system in a positive way, saying, "Hey, that person over there, they assaulted me, and 
yeah, I'm here illegally working in whatever job I'm working right. in, but I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Right. That person over there did something wrong. Yep. And then if that person there is an American citizen, naturalized or born, whatever, or they're illegal, illegally here, they should be treated the same. Sure. Like if if the, if the person who perpetrated the crime was an American citizen born here, third, fourth generation, they'd be in jail. Yeah. Right? right. <laughs> so like, right. we have to treat them a criminal as a criminal. I think that that's just the way. And I think that you can have it both ways. Well, I, I agree with you in, in a sense that you say, go through the motions of being of being here legally. But I'll go even further and say, if not, then if you're here illegally because of your immigration status only, then be a law-abiding citizen. That's all we're asking. And the overwhelming majority of people who are here illegally are law-abiding citizens. Agreed. I just want to end with that. Uh, Jim, it's been a fantastic year. I'm um, looking forward to another great year of doing podcasts with you in 2019. Um, I want to wrap up by saying to everyone listening to the podcast, thank you for listening to the podcast. Jim, what do you have? It's any been, final thoughts? It's been fun. Uh, her... It always surprises me when somebody, maybe it shouldn't, but it, it surprises me when somebody says, hey, I heard your podcast on X and it was really cool. And and I, I want to encourage them to, and I want to encourage every listener to send us your thoughts, give us feedback. Uh, anecdotally, person to person, I hear some great ideas and great uh, rebuttals. I'd love to put those on the air. Yeah. Okay. We'll try and collect some of those emails um, and and things like make comments in the comment section on the Police One website. Uh, once again, I'll echo Jim's uh, sentiment here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you for clicking, as I always say in the open. Uh, we'll see you again in 2019.